This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. I'm Daniel Davis. I played Professor James Moriarty on Star Trek The Next Generation, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer. Amy and Richard are away on a mission for Starfleet intelligence today, but never fear, because I have someone familiar as a guest today. It's Lee Hutchison. How have you been, Lee? Yeah, I've been really good. It's been a manic, manic month, really. I, I feel a bit more grayer than I was a month ago, um, a bit more tired, but no, I'm, I'm good. Um, I've moved into my new home, kind of settled. Pretty much all the rooms have been done. So I'm starting to feel a bit more relaxed and a bit more time to myself. So um, the opportunity to be here today was one I, I couldn't miss at all. That's great. Yeah. And so thanks so much for being a guest here today while Amy and Richard are away. Yeah. Anytime, anytime. It's it's good to have, I suppose now with them two off, me and you can kind of play around in the command chairs. So there's not, I'm not going to be relegated to sitting on one of those little pull-out chairs in the back. <laughs> That's true. We can do what we want. And uh, yeah, we can talk about, uh, take a little side trip into DS9 stuff. No, we probably won't go there today. But whenever I start to edge toward that, Amy's like, well, we're talking about next generation here. You'll so. get away with that with me. I'm a, I'll, the, kids, the kids are roaming. <laughs> and so for the before I talk about the topic, maybe I'll tease it a little bit. You have um, a bit of a connection to the topic we'll be talking about today. Do you want to? Yeah, I think I think a lot of people kind of associate sort of Sherlock Holmes as a kind of English character, quite rightly. So, um, and in reality, Sherlock Holmes more has his kind of uh, origin here in Edinburgh in Scotland, and um, kind of a stone's throw away from me. Um, is a pub called the Conan Doyle. I had my 30th birthday party in one called Moriarty. There's a Sherlock Holmes statue about 10 minutes walk from my work. Um, Conan Doyle, the author of Sherlock Holmes, was born in Edinburgh, returned here and started writing the books here. You know, the character of Sherlock Holmes, for example, was based on a, a lecturer here at the, the Surgeon's Hall, um, Dr. Bell, and his um, his gravestone is here as well um, so yeah like kind of there's even a kind of little statue uh, a plaque kind of outside just I think what's kind of essentially like near a, a supermarket now uh, the birthplace of Conan Doyle so yeah Sherlock Holmes very much has its roots here in, in Edinburgh and I think a lot of people don't know that I think if you pose where does Sherlock Holmes where was Sherlock Holmes created I think most people would probably say London or Scot uh, England I think yeah hopefully this is a, a pleasant surprise for them 
Yeah, I mean, I think when I first knew about Sherlock Holmes, that's what I thought too, something to do with London or England. And uh, so it's perfect that we get you here with a deep connection to this this kind of story. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's a nice treat. So yeah, hopefully um, when I pass by the Sherlock Holmes statue, I'll think equally of Earl Grey as I do uh, Sherlock Holmes and <laughs> probably Benedict Cumberbatch's glorious hair. <laughs> awesome. So today we will be discussing something related to Sherlock Holmes, but we'll be specifically focused on the character of Professor Moriarty, who's one of my favorite characters in The Next Generation. Uh, he was played by by Daniel Davis, and he first appeared in an early season two episode, Elementary Dear Data. Um, and Brent Spiner really enjoyed playing the Sherlock Holmes character, but there were some legal issues where Paramount hadn't gotten the, the proper permission to, to use the Sherlock Holmes characters, so it took them a while to work that out. Uh, and that di- character and Moriarty didn't reappear until the season six episode, uh, Ship in a Bottle. So we'll be talking about those two episodes. We'll certainly be talking about some different aspects of those episodes, but with a particular focus on Moriarty, because I thought it would be nice just to kind of hone in on a focus of that character, which I find really fascinating. So let's get started, Lee, with uh, your general impressions of these two episodes and maybe Moriarty in particular. Yeah, I mean, probably firstly kind of skipping to um, Ship in a Bottle. That's an episode I've not watched in, in, frankly, years. It's always been one I've kind of skipped. I think season six is quite a strong season of it. Next Generation and, you know, the episode before it is Chain in Command, part one and two. And that's that's peak Next Generation as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I was quite excited to dive into that one. Um, Elementary Dear Data, I've probably watched numerous times. It's If it's on the TV, it's one of those ones you, you don't mind dipping into. And I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a really enjoyable episode. It's br- like the holodeck episodes at the time really send, seem to give the Next Generation a scale. Um, in terms of kind of these, we you would see them go to these alien planets, and they would feel relatively cheap, or they're like that island location somewhere. Whereas they would go into these sets of kind of you know, in wherever it was, Chicago, New York, for the Dixon Hill stories, and then with the Sherlock Holmes, you know, there they are in in um, old, ye oldie London, and it, you would look at it and think, wow, that feels like a real lived in place, and you, you would get a real sense of wow this holodeck is incredible that you maybe didn't really seem to get kind of later on in, in next generation holodeck stories and, and Voyager ones. So I, I always think Elementary Dear Data is a, a pretty exciting episode. Um, and then Ship in a Bottle was interesting to revisit, an episode that didn't really kind of click too much for me in the past. And when I kind of watched it earlier, I was like, ah, it's, it's fine. It's a good performance from um, Daniel Davis and an interesting kind of structure, but it didn't blow me away too much. What about yourself? Um, I'll definitely agree with you on Elementary Dear Data. That's one of my favorites. Uh, it, you're right. It does give a certain uh, scale, and especially early on in season two, that they were kind of going to to go into some different places, make references to past literary characters, which which I really like. Um, you know, I'm a fan of of the Sherlock Holmes stories and and all of that. And to see Data in the guise of this of this other character, instead of being kind of the same Data week in and week out, you can tell he's having a lot of fun with the character. And then, you know, in the in the second half of the episode, I think where they bring in uh, Moriarty as an adversary capable of of defeating Data, I I find that to be really fascinating in the interplay and all of the questions about Moriarty, which we'll we'll talk about. I think I'll disagree on Ship in a Bottle. I'm quite a, a fan of it, and I think it's actually a superior episode to to Elementary Dear Data because 
I don't know. I think it's a very clever and inventive kind of episode and kind of even sharpened some of the questions uh, that, that came up in the previous episode about about Moriarty and his character and his sentience and, and, and what it all means. So I, I like both of these these episodes quite a bit. And I've always been really fascinated by the Moriarty character and, and, and like his his appearances here. And I think it might have been interesting if if he would have been able to appear more often, but maybe it would have gotten a little overused. But um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very much a, a fan of both of the episodes and the character. Excellent. Yeah. So, uh, well, let's dive into talking about elementary deer data. So, you know, one of the things that I think is the, the most interesting about Moriarty is that Jordy LaForge is giving this challenge to the computer, create an adversary capable of defeating data. So, of course, the the computer works through that and it says, okay, I'll give this guy consciousness, which is something um, I don't think we'd really quite seen to that level and is very much an influence in seeing, you know, the doctor and Vic Fontaine and in Voyager and, and in Deep Space Nine. I, I, I think maybe they they go at it in a couple different ways in the episode. But, but I mean, what's your opinion? Do you think Moriarty is actually sentient or is the computer just simulating that that he's this kind of separate consciousness? I think to give logic to it probably does it kind of, uh, uh, yeah, I don't think it almost matches up. I think the Moriarty makes no sense why he's like that, why he has this extra kind of sense, control, power, you know, everything that he seems to do, even down to kind of, he can design and draw this picture of the Enterprise and then they can take it away and uh, like play with it. Like that doesn't make sense. It should evaporate as soon as it goes out of the holodeck. I think that this was a new piece of technology and I just don't think the writers kind of had any real sort of sense of how it kind of worked at, at that stage. It was a bit all over the place. And I think Moriarty sort of sums that up, that I think there we try we try and apply a logic to it that actually is just not there to be placed it's he's almost given an intelligence that's kind of it's not there i think um it's just made to make the episode interesting i think well you mentioned um which i think a lot of people have noticed that there's this piece of paper where he moriarty draws the the enterprise and and data and and Jordy are really worried about that and the piece of paper actually comes off of the holodeck um, they actually meant to to use that as part of the ending. It wasn't actually a a mistake to put that that in there that way, at least from from what I I read, um, because the idea was that Picard was supposed to realize that Moriarty could actually exist off of the the holodeck, um, but he's not going to tell him that because he thinks that Moriarty would be too dangerous. Now, in the end, of course, they they took out that part of the ending and it was like, well, we don't know quite what to do. So we'll save the program and keep working on it. But they originally intended Picard to be deceptive about this to Moriarty and that it was possible to bring him off of the holodeck. Yeah, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely interesting because you see it in a lot of the early holodeck episodes that, for example, when you see them throwing the snowball, for example, the snowball comes in, hits Picard. Um, I think the idea would have been quite interesting about kind of whether they had like these holodeck emitters perhaps on all the the um, the decks and these sorts of things could exist perhaps on in, like things like we would end up seeing with the EMH could work in kind of say engineering or the bridge and like Moriarty could have been almost a precursor to what we could have ended up seeing with say um, the dear doctor himself. So I think yeah like I think he's sentient because the writers have made him sentient but that's only to kind of 
progress the story forward. Um, I think ultimately he is simulated because he is a simulated character. So I think I want to have all three pieces of the pie when I'm trying to apply logic to this character. Oh boy, you're trying to bring in logic to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I, I kind of go both ways. And I know it's, of course, it's it's fictional, but I, I try to think like if it was possible to have that kind of technology and to do this, what would it mean? Or, or would that that really be what would that mean, right? I mean, they talk about it a little bit in, you know, later in season two in, in Measure of a Man where where Picard is asking, so, you know, prove that I'm sentient. How do you know that I am and that data over there isn't, you know? And you could say the same thing about about Moriarty. I guess it it, it interests me because if it is, you know, a sentient being and something that that is a separate consciousness, you have to treat it differently than if it's just a simulation, just an extension of the computer that you can just kind of throw away or do what, what you will. And I think within the episode, they do, you know, think of him as, as sentient, as having the self-awareness and, and, and the intelligence. But I don't know, we could go around and around on it. But, but for me, I just kind of go both ways. Like, is that a simulation? Or, but I mean, of course, in the real world, they're trying to push along the plot and make it interesting. But it might be possible someday uh, in the future that that we could do something like this, and you know what would that mean? Yeah, I don't think that would be too surprising if that happened one day. If we got to the stage where we could create these characters out of nothing and program them to think this way, and as I say, create someone that is like uh, you know can compete with data, like you could almost imagine, you know, it just takes a few different algorithms and then things start firing and it's, you know, the consequences of that could be something that becomes kind of self-aware and kind of a sentient being. It, I, I could imagine a road kind of coming to that one day. So also, you know, with within the episode, uh, the the computer is basically taking it upon itself to add this consciousness to to Moriarty so is there, you know, no kind of safeguard for it? I mean, clearly they, that they have these mortality safeguards at all seem, always seems strange to me. Like, oh, it's possible someone could die on there. That's that's weird. But um, they're, they're also creating this, this con- able to create this consciousness on, on demand. And I'm surprised they don't restrict that later. Or I mean, there's all of these things that it could that it could open up that are really dangerous or problematic that I don't think they address, right? Yeah, I mean, it's always that classic thing that, you know, we see it all in our workplaces and day-to-day life, that PC gone mad. Like the idea that there's this amazing holodeck thing. It's like, oh yeah, you can take the safety off. Yeah, you can die in this. You can be shot in this. It's like, no, no, no. Like if I, I have to do risk assessments in my work from time to time and I cannot imagine getting away with going, oh yeah, yeah, there's some safeguards put in, but sure, you you know, you could die in it, but that's only if you wanted to potentially risk your life doing this kind of playing kind of, a role play game or kind of a romantic adventure it's it's just ridiculous think about it if if you were like okay you're going to see the best movie you could ever imagine customized for your taste but you might die in the movie theater while you're watching it right you wouldn't do that no not a chance no i'm quite happy with like imax i'm going to stick at that you know another element of of moriarty is that that he's this you know really clever kind of mastermind character and i think that's really played played well and we'll talk about ship in a bottle work i think it kind of goes to to another level but you know what what do you think about how moriarty is is portrayed here i think it comes across quite interesting that i think that what i like is that 
you can imagine a character like Moriarty that, you know, he's, he's always playing these games with Sherlock Holmes, you know, verbal and schemes. And I think the idea, as soon as he discovers that they're on the spaceship and, you know, there's an access to an outside world, like, it's not one of those things that you act shock. It's like, ah, the game's changed and he evolves to adapt to that game. It's not one of those things where you act surprised. He kind of has questions. Oh, how is this possible? What am I? He's like, ah, how can I escalate my schemes further, you know, take things to the nth degree? And I think that's quite an interesting uh, approach that he took. Yeah, because he he doesn't think, aha, you know, I'm I'm I am a simulation, but imagine what I could do within this this holodeck simulation in in London. I'm so far beyond these people. No, he wants to take it to the next level, and and actually leave and find out what's what's going on in in this in this other world. So yeah, I think that is consistent with with the times that you see him in the Sherlock Holmes stories, where he's just kind of escalating things to the to the next level. Yeah. So a- another thing that I'm that I'm curious about is, you know, so we're you know specifically using Sherlock Holmes characters, and there are other connections in in Star Trek, um, other characters who may have you know uh, played sure in in Sherlock Holmes productions. Uh, Nick Meyer wrote some Sherlock Holmes books, even, and there's a little reference in there in the Undiscovered Country that that he puts in. But what do you think about you know using uh, Sherlock Holmes this kind of directly in in a Star Trek episode? Does that work really well for you or do you think it should have been some something else some other literary reference or do you think it works really well for what they're going for yeah i think it works perfectly fine as far as i'm concerned um yeah like when when you watch it like star trek's always done things like this you know with the fact that we had abe lincoln in space i'm quite okay with sherlock holmes popping up as a um as a character here on uh, a holodeck adventure i I think that's perfectly okay and i like when that happens to be honest with you justin because i think sometimes and that's why i like the nick meyer stuff when he's he's quoting kind of shakespeare or he's quoting sherlock holmes or it grounds star trek in the real world that we share with it like too often we can kind of look at it and think oh this is the the future that um is just so devoid of our time when you hear them kind of quoting things that are relevant to us things that we are reading things that are part of our culture it kind of makes you believe that the next generation just isn't that too far away and i like that yeah i i agree um I, I think it works. It works really well. It's a it's a fun episode, um, and you know, well worth our listeners revisiting if they haven't haven't seen it for a while. Um, any other thoughts on Elementary Dear Data before we move on to the next one? I, I always enjoy a Rob Bowman episodes. I always think he he was definitely one of the best directors the Next Generation ever had, and I'd love if he he was around for the whole series run and to see some of the episodes he'd have done, or if he had gone on to do some of the movies. You know, we obviously lost him out to uh, the X Files, um, but I think he he's definitely you know an underrated director and uh, contributor to some of the the shining lights of season one and two, and I'm sure there's an episode in there somewhere. So let's move on to to Ship in a Bottle, which is you know about four years after um, Elementary Dear Data, uh, Data and and Jordy doing their their Sherlock Holmes um, program again, uh, and something goes wrong with the uh, with the program, and Barclay is brought in to fix it. Barclay, who wasn't there in season two or that we didn't see, and finds Moriarty has been you know. He's brought him back, not being aware of of what had happened before, and and he tells Picard about it. And there's all of this, you know, elaborate deception that Moriarty has, kind of a 
hollow program within a hollow program, and it just goes at, at different levels. I like this episode a, a lot, but it, you said you weren't as much of a fan about it, and I'm I'm curious if you want to talk about why. Yeah, um, it's it's never an episode that kind of blew me away, to be honest with you, Justin. Like I think with this, what I kind of like is that in the beginning we've got this. Um, kind of scene where like they basically spend six minutes it's a pretty long teaser for for star trek uh, the next generation basically explaining everything that happened in elementary dear data and it'd been quite good if you get the old classic you know previously on star trek the next generation and showed you what happened i just find that quite um quite funny to be honest with you um it's just an episode i think We've kind of all seen it before. Not maybe not always in Star Trek, but in other episodes, you know, where you see, oh, they're in a world within a world, and etc. etc. Um, and I think it kind of just, um, I, I think it's good, and I, I like that it's the return of Moriarty. I just wish we got maybe something a little more exciting. The idea that Moriarty once again is putting the ship in into peril, and he's got control of the ship. I'm like, oh, you've got one of the greatest masterminds in kind of literature here on the ship. What, what can you, you can do anything with it and i find that just slightly just a bit disappointing but hey that's that's okay um it's it's not the most exciting in the world it's not the most memorable in the world but it's fine it's he he's worth the, the worth the value of watching it that's for sure so what what do you think they could have done with moriarty instead of you know this like simulation within a simulation that he does yeah i, I mean i don't know like if you're gonna do it like have him kind of um you know, I don't know. I always find holodeck episodes, there's so little you can do with them if you want to make kind of tension and peril. So there's something about this where it is quite a little bit unique. But I don't know what I would have done with it. I, I would have just maybe, I, I suppose I'm not one of the paid writers and uh, I suppose this is one of your, you could do this as one of your, your good rewrite episodes. But um, I don't know. I just would have done something a bit different. I would have maybe got it out of the holodeck and, you know, maybe just done something a bit interesting, maybe something similar to what would have been done in the future in Voyager where there's an issue and they need to call upon this master criminal to help bring just a different point of view. You know, the, the Enterprise is up against some sort of foe that's got them as a sort of trap or mystery. Who can help them out of this one? The crew are all, uh, you know, out of ideas. So what do they do? Build up this holodeck call on Moriarty and he's you know is he helping them is he working against them I'm not too sure I'd have I'd paid good money to watch that one and I would expect a story credit from the the TNG crew <laughs> well you know I, I'll talk about why in a minute why I do really like this episode but another place they could have gone if they had been thinking about that at this point is they could have invented a mobile emitter right and have him go outside the holodeck and then you see maybe the havoc that he wreaks or or what else that he does. I thought about that after I watched it this time. There could have been something really interesting if he the point wasn't for him to leave the holodeck, but he actually is able to because of some kind of invention that they have and can just kind of go anywhere and what would he do in that world, right? Yeah, I mean that would have been that would have been so good. I just would like to have seen it more than just sort of that a semi-retread of the first one, you know, Moriarty wanting to escape the holodeck and Moriarty taking control of the ship. Eh, that, that I just would have fancied a wee change, I think. Okay, well, maybe since you've talked about what you wanted different, I'll talk about why I like it the way it is. Bash on. <laughs> um, so it, it is true that his goal is the same. He wants to get off of the holodeck, but that, that makes some sense to me. He, he's, he's fairly single-minded about what he wants, and he wants doesn't want this restriction on him 
And the first time that I saw this this episode, you know, uh, Picard and Barclay and Data go onto the holodeck and they see Moriarty and they're like, sorry, this isn't possible. And he says, aha, I think that I can do it because I'm thinking so. And and the, the doors open. He must have programmed things so that, you know, if Picard threw an object out, it would just disappear, but he could walk right out. And from that point on, they're within his own simulation. And the first time that I saw it, as it was kind of going through, I didn't realize that's what was happening. I thought that somehow he had found a way, and I don't know, that there, that there would be some some interplay off of that. So I was actually fooled by it the first time for a lot of, of the episode. Um, but, but also, you know, it, within the episode when he... And I like that idea. Actually, there ends up being, I think, like three levels of simulations because there's the one Moriarty's doing and then Picard has another one within it to fool him so he can trap him in, in the cube. I, I really like holodeck episodes and I like the idea of all of these these layered simulations and that it's possible within this relatively small holodeck to try to layer all that together. I like just, you know, thinking about that. Um, but also it brings up some interesting questions because, you know, Moriarty's been kind of stored away for four years. And he talks about how terrifying and excruciating it, it's been. Of course, it wasn't supposed to be like that. But you think of, of you know, hologram suffering, and that brings up some, some you know, worrying questions. Um, I mean, this is a guy who's can be like a, a master criminal, but but you know, have they put him through some some suffering that they that they really shouldn't have? Um, I find that interesting. And then also, you know, in this episode, Moriarty is kind of defeating Data's con- whole conception of of reality for a lot of of the episode. So I mean, in a way, if he's an extension of the computer, it's like the computer ag- against Data, which which I find really really interesting. I don't know. I think there's just a lot of intricacy to it. I think it's a, a pretty cleverly written episode that gets you to think about the the nature of of reality um you know and and that's some of the reasons why i i I really like it but i think you feel like it's just in a the same thing in a different wrapper right yeah i i I just would have liked to have seen something a bit different as i say perhaps interacting with the crew to solve a mystery and um, just something perhaps along those lines as opposed to sort of a bit of that that retread um and you know it's, but it's, it's one of those things like that episode would have been completely forgettable if it weren't for the the performance of um, Moriarty himself. It certainly elevates the episode above the, the this sort of generic sort of plot line that we've got, even though it's kind of well put together and a bit of a, a conundrum. That that's that's really good. I just would have preferred to have just seen a little bit of. Um, you know, a bit of variety, a little do something a bit different with this this great character if you're going to use him like that. That's so interesting. I always find it interesting when I watch an episode and I think this is so great. Everybody thinks it's wonderful, right? <laughs> and then you find someone else is like, eh, it didn't quite do Maybe it for you me. Tune into like, the Babel okay. conference and you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think overall, Ship in a Bottle is a a, a pretty well liked episode. I mean, at least if I'm to take the IMDb ratings seriously, it's one of the higher rated episodes of season six, actually. Um, but I, I always enjoy it. I think it's a fun adventure, even knowing what's happening. It's it, I feel like it's a little different because it's not um, Data as Sherlock Holmes trying to figure out a mystery, but it's Data as Data within the simulation trying to figure out a mystery using deduction the way that Holmes would. So I, I, I quite like that. Um, another thing that happens in here that 
that I wonder about is at one point Mori- Moriarty is able to give sentience to um, the Countess Bartholomew, who's his his companion. So, you know, it, it, again, it just seems like they're able to create this consciousness or this sentience on on demand. And it, it makes you, you know, wonder, could they just create an army of conscious holograms that, that, uh, that might run out of, out of control, you know? So I don't know. I think it brings up some interesting, um, issues in, in that regard that I was thinking about for a while. For sure. You know, we've, we've talked a good deal about these, these two episodes and about, um, you know, Moriarty, uh, in, in particular. And I think Daniel Davis does give a really, uh, excellent performance for that, that, Sherlock Holmes character and the Moriarty character only appeared twice and maybe it's it's best that 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 was the case so it didn't feel overused but um there it there is actually an appearance of of Moriarty in the post nemesis books that I wanted to talk about a little bit um some people wonder you know have wondered uh Moriarty is in this little memory cube on the Enterprise D and you know what happens after the D crashes. I had that in, exact in thought at the end of the movie. So thankfully you're on hand here to answer one of my questions. <laughs> yeah. So people have wondered about that and there was no follow-up on screen, but in the novels there, there have been, and the particular novel is called the light fantastic, which it just came out in 2014. Um, and there's kind of an intricate backstory. There's a, a, a trilogy of, of novels called cold equations that, that focus on, on data, um, and there's one before that called Immortal Coil that kind of feeds into this. So there's actually some some backstory, but essentially, without spoiling things, when the Enterprise D does crash, it does create some some problems in in this world that Moriarty and the Countess have been exploring. And after that, they're moved. This little cube is moved to the Daystrom Institute as a place for you know permanent storage. But in the course of of this novel, which takes place about fifteen years after Ship in a Bottle, um, Moriarty. I, I guess they they go back again to Moriarty wanting to be out there in in the real world. And because of some of the tools that are available from the Cold Equations trilogy, it seems like it's possible for him to do that. So anyway, if anyone's interested. In, in following up on that, I think they're they're great books. You should probably read the Cold Equations trilogy first, which is specifically about data, and that'll give some background uh, going into the Light Fantastic. So if anyone wants to check that out, I'd, I'd definitely recommend that. So it so Lee, it is it is addressed. They weren't just left alone. Well, they were kind of left alone for a while, but they do kind of pick it up for 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 what happens. Saying on Vidian, Vidian was it Vidian three? Yeah, uh, uh, just gathering dust, just kind of pottering about there. I I did think that at the end. I was like, I wonder what happened. I hope it wasn't like thrown around, just like you know that statue Picard has in his uh, ready room that just gets that um, his Galen had found, and then it's just like chucked around. I was just hoping it was a bit more respect given to a, a British icon. The way that they they address it, that crashing of the Enterprise D, you know, it does affect their world actually in a in a kind of a tragic way, but they don't really quite know what's going on until the books later on, which are ten or twelve twelve years after that. But but yeah, I, I found that really interesting to to read. Uh, Lee, um, you want to give your your final thoughts about these Sherlock Holmes episodes and Moriarty? Yeah, I, I think Moriarty is, is... I would love to see more of him in, in, in the next generation. I, I was oddly thinking when I was watching it that as a as a character, even kind of on the next generation in isolation, 
that he's he's probably better than some of the villains that we see in Marvel movies or kind of summer blockbuster movies. And it, it they had such a great character in their kind of midst that they could call upon. And I would like to have seen, perhaps we'd have probably seen it more nowadays um, when we see someone like Harry Mudd's going to be a bit of a, a recurring character in, in Star Trek Discovery and such like that. This could have been a character that could have been we could have maybe gone to the well with a few times and made some interesting interesting use of. Um, and I, I think, you know, he, he's, he's brilliantly played. And I think people remember these two episodes so much for his performance. And it, it's it's a credit to the actor. It's a credit to the writing. And yeah, I, I think he's a, a real treat in the next generation that I think is, is overlooked, frankly. Yeah, I I agree. And when you say that that he's overlooked, I was actually surprised there hadn't been, you know, a previous episode of Earl Grey that focused on on Moriarty because I think he is a pretty well known and well well liked character. I like the character quite a bit. I like the the these two episodes, Elementary, Dear Data and Ship in a Bottle quite a bit. They're some of my favorites in the next generation, so I was happy to to rewatch them. And I, I think it does bring up um, you know, some interesting questions about, you know, consciousness and sentience, the nature of reality, um, what it means to, to be, you know, a different kind of life form, I guess, which, which of course is further explored in great detail with the doctor in, in Voyager, but it's kind of a, uh, a preliminary to that, which, which I, I really like. Um, so I think they're, they're excellent episodes. Daniel Davis does a great job playing Moriarty. Of course, Brent Spiner does a great job playing, uh, data as Sherlock Holmes and uh, well worth people checking out. Definitely. So Lee, since, since uh, you are here, you're doing a, been doing a giveaway. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, as my parting present to uh, Earl Grey, um, I've left behind a copy of Treconomics in my, uh, my staff room, <laughs> my, my quarters um, that I'd, I'm willing to, to give away to uh, one of the loyal listeners. So anyone can leave a review, you know, doesn't matter if in the, the UK, Canada, America, South Africa, Outer Mongolia, please leave a review for this, this show, you know, leave what you think's right. And, you know, anyone that leaves a review, it's greatly appreciated by people past and present. But if you're lucky enough to live in the UK, your review will go into a, a bit of a, a raffle and someone will get this. Uh, I won't say hand-delivered, but we'll receive it through the, the glorious post. Um, and the, the book's worth twenty about £18 on Amazon right now. And apparently there's only three in stock. So this could be a good way to get your hands on a, a book. Um, and it's, it's a fantastic book. It, it's a book uh, that tries to make kind of sense of the many bizarre and choices that they you go with them regarding currency and the economics of the future and it tries to bring that all together and it, I, I mean i'm not a big star trek book reader myself but i found this one an, an excellent excellent read and i think um anyone that um gets this will, will certainly enjoy it and will, will probably find themselves wanting to do a podcast episode on it perhaps yeah, it, I've read it myself. Trekonomics is an is an excellent book. So if you're in the UK, if you're listening to this right now, um, go over to iTunes, leave us a star rating uh, and written review, and you'll be entered in a contest to win the book. Uh, just be sure that you do that before uh, September 30th, and we hope that uh, that you're able to win the book. I was going to say it's got Ray reviews from the New York. I'm just looking at Amazon. Ray reviews from Chris Black from uh, Behind the Scenes on Enterprise, uh, Washington Post, New York Times, and 
the top review on it from Amazon is by uh, Mr. Duncan Barrett. I wonder what he's up to these days. So uh, you can't go wrong with all those different people and ourselves raving about this book. So all you need to do to, to get in a chance with uh, getting your hands on this book is, is leaving a few nice words and putting a star review of whatever you think is appropriate. And, yeah, you know, if you put in a one star review, put in a five star review, it doesn't matter. It's all, all the same. You all go into the raffle. So good luck. Excellent. Thanks, Lee. So if people wanted to find you on the internet, where could they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Lee underscore Nostromo. You can find me on my Star Trek art account at Star Trek VHS. And you can find me on my own podcast, The Filibuster, uh, where we talk about nerd and geek culture. And by the time this episode drops, I've I just had, I had the pleasure uh, just a week ago of sitting down with Robert Picardo um, here in Edinburgh to talk about some of his Star Trek career and a play he's putting on here in, here in the city. And it was an absolute dream come true to meet the the doctor in the flesh. So um, if you're wanting a bit of Star Trek uh, kick with me um, and you're, you're all cop and great, check out that podcast. It will it'll be out kind of just on the Wednesday coming. So yeah, check out. Oh, that's excellent that you met Robert Picardo in person and interviewed him. Oh yeah, I you know that he I I went into the room with him and um, he was there with Sylvester McCoy from Doctor Who and The Hobbit and. Uh, Robert Cardo went to me. Oh, you've got such beautiful eyes. You know, you could be an actor. And I went, I think that, I think that ship sailed. I think I, I defer to you on this one. So yeah, it was quite a surreal experience to be sat next to, to Robert Picardo. And, um, I recently also interviewed someone who was also putting a play on here in Edinburgh, um, that did a show called Star Trek versus Star Wars, a bit of a, a panel show. Um, and he was saying that one day he looked into the crowd and there was Robert Picardo <laughs> sitting there watching him and he found that to be a surreal experience. So, you know, Robert Picardo is fairly, fairly getting around in, in my, my wonderful city. Well, it's been fun talking about Professor Moriarty today, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here is what you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Literary Treks. Oh, Matthew, I'm doing just fine. You know, it's always fun every week to hop on here and talk Star Trek books and comics with you. And I don't know if you realize this, Matthew, but this is our 200th episode of Literary... Wait a minute, Matthew. We don't host this show anymore. Standard Orbit. Well, I I think everything comes back to the naked time for him, and he just can't get away from swords. Running around with a sword. Just running around with a sword. So maybe it was this episode that started that whole thing, but man, yeah, he's... It's kind of an odd thing <laughs> that he's, he's defined by a sword in his hand, you know. The 602 Club. I honestly was thrilled with the way that they set it up because, like you said, sort of like uh, Russian dolls, I guess, um, is a good way to explain it. You introduce one character in this existing show and then it leads to that character's own show, which leads to the next one's own show. And introducing The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. But if I ended up missing an episode, I would record 45 minutes of blank space on my VHS tape, and then I would wait until it came around, and then I would put the episode in its proper order. This explains so much. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, 
Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com trek.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at trekfan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. And I'm currently tweeting out my season three rewatch of The Next Generation. And you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, PatronZone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We would like to take this time to thank associate producer Michael Huter. Thank you, Michael. We truly appreciate your continued support of Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Things are only impossible until they're not. The game is afoot.